Hi, and welcome to Math and Musings. I'm Mike O'Connell, creator of Math and Musings, and your host. Stay tuned for 15 minutes of science, politics, news, and opinion. In other words, Math and Musings. Today's date is February 25th, 2022. This is Season 2, Episode Number 8 of our show. Continuing our journey through the story of uh, what became a book that I published uh, 15 years ago, recalling the events of my life 16 years ago, January and February of 2006, and as I've admitted before, though I don't think of the book often, I think of the story often. The story has stayed with me for this uh, more than decade and a half. I appreciate you tuning in today. If you haven't listened to episodes one through seven of season two, I'd go back and listen to those right now. It'd take you less than two hours. And you can join us here on episode number eight. If you don't quite have that amount of time, I will recap it for you very quickly right now. In 2001, I read a book, as did most of America, called Nickel and Dimed, written by Barbara Ehrenreich, famous New York Times writer, I think she wrote for the Times, uh, writes a book posing as an impoverished person, takes the minimum wage jobs and writes about her struggles. I had to read this book for a labor policy class when I was in college. Most of the class, well, everyone except me, uh, sided with the author and uh, her conclusion that uh, everyone uh, below a millionaire is doomed to fail in this this, uh, country of ours, big bad country of ours. I said, well, no, it, it's not like that at all. This really is the land of dreams and the land of opportunity, as uh, we used to say. Nobody goes through life trying to make their life difficult unless you're writing a book about it. People do, and, and should anyway, go through life trying to succeed. And that was my goal. I was going to deposit myself somewhere in the country. No money, no job, no place to live. Well, I, I had a couple hundred bucks on me. That, that was it. That was my startup money. And I, I was going to make it. And that was the goal. And I've been describing this the last few weeks. And through the month of January 2006, I think I had accomplished my goal. And what you're going to hear about today was in my month of February, which which is kind of like my victory lap. Uh, although, you, know, you never really done. I mean, the, you know, they say the first million is the toughest. It doesn't mean you're going to try not to make that second million, right? I had accomplished what I set out to accomplish, which was find a job, find an apartment in literally like a a couple days after I'd arrived in town. Yes, I had certain advantages in the world. Like I I had a master's degree, but you know what? I never told anyone I had a master's degree and you don't need a master's degree to be a fry cook at a fast food restaurant, which is what I did. One of the problems Miss Ehrenreich had in her book was she like look down upon the work she was doing. I never looked down on the work I was doing. I tried to do it really well. And um, that during my time at Wing Zone was the name of the restaurant. I that when I first started, I was you know working uh, at nights. To say the, the place was open till, depending on the night of the week, it was open till I think it was Monday, no Sunday through Wednesday. It was open till midnight, and then one a.m. on Thursday and two a.m. on Fridays and Saturdays. So. I, that you know, six p.m. to or to two a.m. That that's not exactly a desirable shift. But, you know, I I started during that time, 
I told the manager I'd like to work days. He says, well, you know, you work at days, that's, that's the preferred shift. You got to kind of earn it. To which I said, yep, in a couple weeks, you're going to be begging me to work days. Guess what happened? In a couple weeks, he was begging me to work days. Not because I was brilliant, because I showed up on time every day, ready to work. That was my plan. And, th and this can be taught to anyone at any stage in life. Like, yeah, in, in many ways in my life, I was, you know, born on third base. Yeah, I've had some setbacks too. But the attitude of you can succeed can be taught to anyone, no matter where you start. Now, I fully realize, and I've mentioned this before, I had two distinct advantages when I started. One, well, other than my positive attitude. One, yeah, it's true, I didn't have kids. This would have been harder if I had kids. And two, I, I was young. It's easy when you're young. Easier when you're young. To which I say, nobody's born with kids, nobody's born old. You want to work your way up the ladder when you are young and don't have kids. That is the uh, prescribed method, I would say. And, you know, it, for me, it, it took a month. For other people, it takes longer. So you'll have setbacks, too. You might have to dust yourself off again. For me, it was uh, the question of attitude and... Not just a positive attitude of I am going to succeed, but I'm not going to look down upon this and I am not going to you know, consider myself above doing minimum wage, menial labor. And I don't, I don't think of it as like a grand favor to a you know, boss man or the, you know, rich people or corporations I'm working for. No, I'm looking at it as I want, to, I want to make this better for me. The corporation I work for, you know, the corporation I work for is called, it's called Mike O'Connell Inc., I still work for that corporation. People will pay me. They're just my clients. And I, I encourage everyone to think of this way. Like, do what's right for you. And unless you're literally a thief, don't be a thief. Unless you're literally a thief, the only way to, to earn capital in this world is to serve other people. Like, go to work. Do your job. You will be compensated. Your life will be better. Your customers' lives will get better. Whatever that is, whether you're a musician or a fry cook or a seventh grade math teacher, whatever your gig is, do it well, do your best, serve your customers, strive to be better all the time. And whether you consider yourself right wing, left wing, you think big role for government and society, small role for government and society, I, I would be hard pressed to find someone who would disagree with that simple statement at the beginning. Now, you can go down different roads from there, of course. It's not a political debate show. I'm just describing how I started and my uh, suggestion uh, for all of us. Now, during that month of February 2006, when I had sort of settled into my groove, and I did get to work, you know, the day shift, like the 10 to 6, and I would, you know, I always got there early. I'd figured out, like, the, the bus schedule, there was, uh, they call it the Wolf Line Shuttle, um, that uh, play on Wolfpack, North Carolina State Wolfpack, that even if you weren't a registered student, like you could still ride this shuttle bus that went all around campus and like the, to the edges of campus. I only had to walk a little bit to get to my stop. And then there was one right near the, the wing zone as well. I got to work early, made sure to get all the prep work done, a few lunchtime orders we had. It was, it was mostly uh, 
nighttime business. College kids ordering at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. But you, you set up your teammates, as I did during the day. Occasionally, I would work at night, too. I never minded that. So going home at 2 a.m., well, I was young. Um, you do what you have to do. Funny thing about it is that I sort of became the person that I had been previously. I'm working in a restaurant, and then I started meeting people in my new town, many of whom were musicians. And, you know, it comes up one day, oh, Mike, you know how to play the piano? Yeah, I play piano really well, actually. Uh, I know what I'm doing. And uh, the, the manager of all people says, oh, I got this, you know, keyboard, like one step up from like baby's first uh, Casio keyboard, but still brought in the keyboard to the restaurant. And uh, another kid brought in his acoustic guitar. And like during, <laughs> we didn't have any customers, slow periods, like let's, let's play a tune here for two minutes. And did, like I didn't smoke, never smoked in my life. That's your, your PSA for today. Instead of taking a cigarette break, why don't we play a tune? You know, that, that's, your, that's your two or three minute break right there. I found people who were other musicians. We started up, like, I, you know, I call it the band, you know, the Wing Zone band. And it's, uh, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of outside gigs, but, you know, it's like, oh, he, um, you know, Billy's having a, having a party this weekend. Why don't we go play at, uh, at his house? Or, you know, Sally's having a party this weekend. Let's go play at her, her place. And yeah, I, I, I did that and I found, uh, we've, when I had built up some money, you know, go see other people play. And this was like the real me. That's how you know you found, that's how you know you're doing what you should do. Like, like no matter where you go, whether I was, you know, early 20s in Binghamton, for me, it was work part-time in a restaurant, play part-time as a musician. Read a lot of books and, and write about your adventures. I moved to North Carolina. What do I become? Part-time work in a restaurant, part-time work as a musician, Read a lot of books and, and write about your experiences. Try to do everything you can. Sometimes you got to do these things on the cheap. I went to a North Carolina State versus Seton Hall basketball game. I, <laughs> that was a night I, I couldn't figure out the bus schedule. I had to walk to the stadium. It's quite a hike. Uh, I did figure out the, the bus ride home. It was just follow the crowd. I went to a basketball game and then... The highlight of my tour, the Krispy Kreme Challenge, this was 2006. I think they still do it. I'm not sure about the COVID era, but they were still doing it a couple of years ago. That uh, This one, yeah, every once in a while you see this on TV or you'll see it. And it was written about in Sports Illustrated. It has, uh, you know, crazy college things to do. Raleigh, North Carolina. The Krispy Kreme Challenge, which is, it's a, it's a road race in the middle of which uh, you are... Uh, not only encouraged, but but forced to, as part of the race, eat a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. So yeah, you can imagine how this works out for a lot of people. You got to run like two miles from the campus to the Krispy Kreme donut shop, do your best to eat a dozen donuts, and then the trickier challenge is run back, you know, without throwing up. Uh, there was there was more than one. Let's say me though out of like a few hundred people in the race. I, mean, I, I was top 10. I, I think I was I was ninth place. I think I could have gotten better. I was just over like 30 minutes or so to, to run four miles and eat a dozen donuts. Fastest finishers were like under half an hour. It's just, it's just incredible to do both of those things. 
I mean, talk about unusual biathlon pairings. Run a road race and eat a dozen donuts. You're probably either good at one or the other. I thought I could handle both, though. There was one point in the race, I think, I, I was, the competitors were so spread out, I thought I had, like, taken a wrong turn or something. I've been thinking about this for 16 years. Like, I was off by a block or so, and I, if I had known the streets of Raleigh better, I could have gotten a better time. I don't know if I would have won, um, but I could have moved up a place or two. But still, one of the highlights of my life, not I mean, not just my pretend Raleigh life. I'm talking highlights of my actual now nearly 4-0 years on this planet, the Krispy Kreme Challenge in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, I think it was only like the second or third year they had it. Now it's, you know, 15 years on plus. They, I mean, they get thousands of people to go to that thing. It has become a huge event. Um, and one of those challenges, every once in a while I see it on TV, like, you know, crazy man versus food kind of kind of things like, oh, eat this 72-ounce steak. Well, then, then there's this one too. It's a, you know, run a race and eat the donuts in the middle. That I found things to do. And, and that was, I think it was like a $10 entrance fee. That basketball game was only like 5 or $10 to go on the, on the you know, the cheap seats. And you, you can find little joys in life. It, it's not as though I had to spend $0. Yeah, I, I tried to economize and save and not waste my money. But, you know, every once in a while you, you see something good. Thought coming to my mind now, and I know I've talked about this one. I talked about it uh, on Father's Day last year. It was... Uh, rules my father taught me. I know that two of them are this. <laughs> One, stash away as much money as possible. And then two, the corollary to that is, but if you really want something, you should buy it. <laughs> On that note, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for listening in today. It has been a pleasure describing the, uh, the events of my life February 2006, and the, the journey, which became the book, The Other Side of the Coin. And, you know, the, the basketball game and the Krispy Kreme Challenge, I don't even know if those stories made the final edit of the book. I didn't like what the publisher did with my book, uh, but that's, I suppose, a story for another time, or never. I've told you the real story. Someday I'm going to publish a book called The Third Side of the Coin, <laughs> what I didn't tell you. But you've got to hear most of it here. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Math Amusings. My name is Mike O'Connell. For more information or to contact, go to MikeOConnellJr.com.